I think that um, most of you here today know that today is called Good Friday. And, and I think we all, or most of us, should be aware of the fact that Good Friday is the day on which the crucifixion of Jesus is commemorated all over the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, though? If Good Friday reminds us of something so terrible that took place over 2,000 years ago, why is it called Good Friday? And have you ever thought about this? It's like quite weird to call today Good Friday when it's actually about something so terrible that took place. And there have be, been a, a few suggestions. I actually, it bugged me so much, I actually tried to find out why it was called Good Friday. Some people have suggested it's, it's called Good Friday because of what followed. So there was the resurrection, and there was the price that was paid for sin. So people were saying, well, it's a Good Friday because of what was still to come. Then, then there are other people who said, no, no, it's Good Friday because it's, actually it should be not Good Friday, but God Friday. And they've taken it from the, um, uh, from the German word, Gottfreitag, which is, is kind of God's Friday. And so maybe it's that. And then there's been, a, I think, probably a more plausible um, suggestion that's been made is the word good actually refers to something that's holy or sacred. And so what we're really saying today is a holy day. Today is a sacred day when, uh, when we focus on on what has happened, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, now, on Good Friday, one of the things that we, we will focus on and that we do focus on when we remember the events that took place when Jesus was crucified is the fact that what Jesus went through was actually for us. That's very important to me. Because our understanding of the crucifixion needs to be based on that. That's why... In Isaiah, we are reminded of the fact that Jesus was pierced for our iniquities. Isaiah goes on to say the punishment that brought us peace was on on him. And I think the verse is up there for you to see. In other words, the crucifixion of Jesus was not just another act of religious fanaticism. And we have seen that, haven't we? We've seen religious acts of fanaticism taking place all over the show. But in fact, it is God's Son dying in our place. The death of Jesus, whether we like it or not, reminds us that sin has got some very serious consequences. That's what You cannot look at the cross and say sin doesn't have consequences. The death of Jesus reminds us that it's, it's, God is not willing that you and I should live under shame and guilt of sin for the rest of our lives. And the death of Jesus reminds us that is as impossible as it sounds, because it does sound a bit impossible, that everything that anybody has ever done is paid for at the cross. That to me is unbelievable. Now, what we are very fortunate to have and what we're very privileged to have today is a record that is given to us by the writers of the gospel of some of the things that Jesus said 
when he was hanging on the cross. And some of them are very, very powerful things. And the only way we can truly understand the significance of what Jesus was saying on the cross is to remember that what he did was for us. And one of the things that Jesus said on the cross just before he died were these words. It is finished. It is finished. So let's read that, the account of that, John chapter 19. Where John says, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Very sinister words. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him. And with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate had, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Any of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek, so everybody could understand it. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate's response is, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The undergarment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's rather decide by lot who will get it. And this happened, John says, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments amongst them, and they cast lots for my clothing. And so this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Ian mentioned this, you remember, early on in the worship, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. He didn't want his mother to be destitute. And from that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there and they soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant. They lifted it up to Jesus' lips when he had received the drink. Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head And he gave up his spirit. If we look back at what happened to Jesus in today's terms, you and I can only describe that as a terrible act of injustice that took place. But when we remember that what he did was for us, it has very far-reaching 
implications. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it by this, my work on earth is finished. What I've come to do is finished. Have you ever asked somebody before, are you finished? Have you ever gone up to somebody who's been busy maybe with a job or they've been doing some maintenance work or, um, or, or you've gone to your wife or your husband maybe and you said, uh, you've been cooking something. Are you finished? Are we ready? You see what makes the death of Jesus more than just another act of brutality against another human being is what Jesus actually came to do. When he said it's finished... He was referring to what he came to do. And may I say this to you? Jesus did not just come to live a good life. Jesus did not just come to teach people about God. Jesus did not just come to heal people. And to set people free from demons. And to raise the dead. He came to do something far, far greater than that. Through his death. He made it possible for you and for me to be in a relationship with God. The Bible conveys it in terms like this. In John 1 we read, To all who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children. Paul's writing to the Galatian church. He said, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And even when Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, what were the very first words of the Lord's Prayer? Our See, one of the consequences of sin for Adam and Eve was that the relationship they had with God in the beginning was broken, it was damaged, it was severed. And ever since that time, human beings, people like you and me, only have a very vague idea of what it's like to have a relationship with God. A relationship where God would always be with them. A, a, a relationship where God would speak to them. A relationship where, where God would fa show favor to them. Friends, when Jesus died, He made that relationship possible again. You can say, Father. And I can say, Son. It is finished. But the second thing that's implied when he said it's, it's finished was that the price of our sin has been paid for. Do you know that one of the greatest deceptions that has ever taken place was not a scam on the internet? One of the greatest deceptions that has ever taken place in history is when Adam and Eve were led to believe that disobeying God was not as serious as he made out to be. 
This is what was said to them. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the reason they chose to disobey God is this. They actually believed that what God said would not happen. And isn't it interesting? We haven't changed. Friends, when Adam and Eve sinned, the price they paid was phenomenally high. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, just from then onwards they were categorized as sinners. No, no, it wasn't quite that simple. When Adam and Eve sinned, their marriage was affected. When Adam and Eve sinned, every child born from that day onwards was born in pain. When Adam and Eve sinned, the work that Adam would be was by the sweat of his brow, no longer by the blessing of God. When they sinned, they were separated from God. And physically and spiritually, they began to die. But when Jesus died, I want to say to you, that price was paid. The price was paid. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, He cancelled out the certificate of death. Friends, when somebody puts their faith in Jesus, the price is paid. Friends, the price is paid. The third thing that's implied when Jesus said it's finished, that Satan's stronghold over humanity was broken. In Colossians 2, we told that when Jesus died, something very unique happened. He was demonstrating his power. It's quite amazing to think when he hung upon the cross, he was actually demonstrating his power over the enemy. And Colossians tells us having disarmed. Now, now that word, I don't know what you what comes to mind when you think of being disarmed. I think we often think of soldiers in war, one one side has won the battle again, and then they, they disarm the other side. That's not what's meant. It means this. Jesus just shrugged off any hold that they tried to have on him. He just shrugged it off on the cross. Having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know what's so brilliant? At the cross, Jesus broke the power that the enemy had over people's lives. He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of addictions. He broke the power of the stronghold the enemy tries to have in people's lives. And I've realized there's one thing the enemy doesn't want you to know about, and doesn't, nor does he want me to know about. That because of the cross, when people truly repent of their sins and turn to Jesus, the power the enemy has is It's finished. And then when Jesus said it is finished, he also meant that a whole new era was about to begin. Every time we have communion, we're going to be having communion in a moment. 
we are reminded of this. When Paul was writing about the communion service, he, he said this, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's people were given laws to obey. And the one thing that they found out over and over and over again, they just kept breaking them. And so it's in this context that, that God introduces a brand new arrangement called the new covenant that would replace the old. And let me highlight again what that new covenant is. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Friends, do you know what the new covenant is all about? Not God giving us a set of laws to obey. It's a God by His power changing people's hearts. That's the new covenant. It doesn't mean there are no commandments to obey. What it does mean is that God Himself will change our hearts so powerfully and so phenomenally, we'll find ourselves desiring to be obedient to the Lord. That is profound. No longer will there be a temple that will remind us of His presence. I know people talk about going to church, and some people have an idea this building is holy. May I just say it's the same as your house? It's just a building. But you remember in the Old Testament, how would you remember the presence of God and that God was with you? You'd go to the temple. The temple was, God said, over, done with, new covenant, temple's finished. Where's the new temple? Point to yourself quickly. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where is God right now? Here. Isn't that awesome? that you don't have to go to a special building for God to be with you anymore. I know it does sometimes feel a bit more holy here. But trust me, even when you're in your bedroom at home and when you're cooking the supper and when you go to work, He is with you. No longer will people be accepted on the basis of what they've done and not done. They are accepted in the presence of God because of Jesus. Do you know that that means that your relationship with God as either a son or a daughter is only because of Jesus? Do you know that your prayers are answered only because of Jesus? Do you know that God blesses you only because of Jesus? Isn't that amazing? Because most of us actually look at our day and think, hmm, not a bad one today. Kind of feel maybe, I know that I'm not perfect, but God, that was a good one. There are other times we think exactly the reverse. How would God ever? And my friends, may I say, whatever you receive from the hand of the Lord is only because of Jesus called grace. Paul put it like this. God made him 
who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As, you, as we go from here today, there's one thing I'd like us to remember. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. Jesus did not die for himself. He didn't need to. He was perfect. When you look at the cross, will you remember how important you are to God? Sometimes we find it awfully difficult to think that people like us could be really important to God. Friends, when I look at the cross, I realize it doesn't matter what I think. I'm important to Him. It reminds me of how much He loves me. Friends, there's a huge difference in somebody saying to you on the telephone, I love you. Somebody dropping you an email says, I love you. Somebody sending you, you know, one of the hearts in the, you know, the emojis, the, the nice big heart in a WhatsApp, and wow, they love me. Friends, God didn't do any of that. He hung on a cross, and he said, I will show you how much I love you. That's what it means when somebody says, if anybody's in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I look back in over my own life is for years and years and years, I sat, like you are this morning, in a building like this, listening to messages like this. And you know what? Every time I left, I thought, that was fantastic. Every time I left, I thought, that was a good message. Well, most times, you don't always get it right. Every time I left, I thought, that's wonderful news. But nobody ever told me that you're not actually meant to just go away saying it's good news. And then one day somebody said, John, but what are you doing with the good news? I thought, well, I'm listening to it. No, 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 it's actually meant to be a bit more than a good Listen. And there came a day for me when I realized, and I share this with you this morning because I think it's important, I realized that going away saying that was a great message is pretty much a waste of time if it hasn't changed me. And there came a time in realizing that, that I said, I'm tired of being religious because I was regularly coming on a Sunday I was even involved in some of the activities of the church and I thought because of all of those things well I'm quite a good Christian and then somebody said John but those things don't make you a Christian as much as parking sleeping in the garage doesn't make you a motor car And I share this with you for a reason this morning. It came a day where I went to the Lord and said, God, I want for myself what's written in this book. Don't know if any of you have become tired of being religious, but I had. 
Religion is kind of an outward thing. It still leaves an emptiness inside. There came a day where I said, God, I actually am tired of this old way. There, there came a day when I said, God, I repent. God, I just I, I want to give it back to you. And if what you said is true, and what you did on the cross is true, then God, I want what you've promised. And I know you're not supposed to build your life on my story. But let me tell you for what it's worth, the only reason I'm standing here today is because of that. I discovered that what he said is true. Now, before we have communion, I want to ask you, those of you that are here this morning, and I, in my mind, probably most of you have, have come to Christ, have committed your lives to Christ, but there may be just one person sitting in this building this morning. And you're saying, I'm tired of religion. You say, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know anything, John, of what you're talking about over here. So what I'm going to do is, there's a, a prayer that I'm going to pray. And if you would like this to be yours, because it becomes yours by faith. And the way that that happens is you pray a prayer and you say to Jesus, Lord, this is what I want. I want to give you all my sin. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to ask you to change my life by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can be born again. And I want to walk out of here, not religious, but a child of God. That can be yours. So, those of you that know the Lord, I'm going to ask you to pray for, there might be somebody here this morning. There might be more than somebody here this morning. A few people. And you know God has been speaking to you. Let's pray for them. Let's close our eyes for a minute. If for some in strange way you know that the Lord has been speaking into your heart, these words are for you today. You're one of those people like me saying, John, you know what? I can identify with that. I've been going to church meetings for a long time. And I've never discovered the true power of the gospel to transform my life. Well, just pray in your own heart and in your own mind. Just pray these words after me. Dear Lord, Thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you for what you did on the cross, that you paid the price, that you broke the power of the enemy, that you gave me an opportunity for my life to be a transformed life. God, I come this morning and I want to confess I am a sinner. I want to confess to you when I look back over my life, I know that I have sinned. But in repentance today, Lord, I'll give that to you. And as I give that to you, I ask you, Lord, that I may receive from you that complete forgiveness that the price is paid. 
Lord, I surrender my life to you. My whole life. Lord, I, I want to pray that I will have life and have life more abundantly as you have promised. And then, God, I want to ask you that you, by the power of your Spirit, will change me on the inside. I don't want to try and do this on my own. I'm relying on you, Lord. I'm relying on what you've promised. Will you change my heart? Will you make me a brand new person today? And then, Lord, come and fill me with your Spirit because I know that I will need help every day of my life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to finish off this morning by sharing communion together. Those of you that are going to be assisting me at the table, I'd appreciate it if you could join me right now. Um, Elaine and Shelley.